Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. So welcome back to Paris History Avica Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine, and today we are talking about the floods of the Seine River. I don't know if you guys are aware, but the Seine has flooded several times, and some were much more devastating than others. Claudine's going to talk about the biggest flood I think that we've seen, and we're going to learn all about it today. Yeah, and now that I have spent like literally a few days doing this, I'm now terrified. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> It, it is like this this story could literally be made into like a horror movie like if you remember the movie that had like pierce brosnan and it was all about a a, a mountain that was gonna explode and exploded and yeah. erupted and lava was everywhere that's exactly how i was picturing while i was researching and writing about this story oh wow okay guys so so be ready to be scared. <laughs> yeah so it's not gonna well, the well, we ones we have coming up soon will be maybe more scary. But <laughs> this, um, the Senate itself, um, as everybody knows, everybody knows about this big flood in 1910, which is what we're really going to talk about it. But it goes back all the way. The flood has. The, the Seine has flooded, and we have notes of that going back to the fourth century. The first noted flood was in 358, and then the next big flood that they had the earliest one that they've measured that was like devastating was January of 583, and it was noted by uh, historian Gregoire de Tours. He mentioned it in his sixth century book about the history of the Franks. Wow. So this goes back a long way. And just think about what the landscape of the city looked like that then. I mean, completely different, obviously, than what we have. So you don't, you know, you back then they would have had, it would have been way easier for that water to spread and spread fast. And then also take out everything in its path because things back then were built out of like what twigs. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, uh, but the Seine is much more than what we see going through Paris. A lot of people know it as the center of Paris. It's always romanticized. There's songs about it. It is beautiful. Nothing is better than walking down the Seine on a, you know, a lovely warm evening when the sun is going down. It's or early in the on a Sunday morning, the best. But the Seine is actually 485 miles, and it starts in Burgundy and goes all the way out to Le Havre, which empties into the English Channel. So it's really, I mean, it pretty much cuts through, you know, almost all the way through from one side of France to the other, mm-hmm. just about. Um, there's four dams on it that can help control the water, which is also part of the problem that we run into with some of this. And then there's three rivers that feed into it, the, uh, the Aube, the Marne, and the Yonne. Those all three feed into that. And so when there's um, big events happen, this all just adds to the problem. Um, in 1206, half of the city was underwater. And the uh, Shrine of saint jean which we talked about, which was her feast day just earlier in the month of January. And uh, we did two podcast episodes about her last year, and we love her. And she is known that even though she died in the 5th century, and sixth century, she her remains, her reliquary has saved the city hundreds and if not thousands of times. And in 1206, the city was underwater again. And so they decided to bring her procession to, uh, with her relic down from Saint Etienne de Mont down to Notre Dame. They were in Notre Dame, they had mass, they go to the edge of the Petit Pont, which is where um, the uh, Saint Marcel basically his reliquary also bids her adieu as she goes back up the hill. As soon as she crossed over that bridge, the Petit Pont, it completely collapsed into the water. Whoa. 
And that had happened 10 times in 200 years, that bridge has collapsed 10 times. And the Petit Pont is the one that if you are on the Ile de la Cité and you have, um, if you're looking towards the left bank, you have Notre Dame on your left and the prefecture on your right. It's that teeny tiny one that kind of goes, uh, it's on uh, Rue Saint-Jacques. So it turns, it goes up Rue Saint-Jacques. So it's a very, it's a petty pont meets a tiny little bridge. It's literally a very small bridge, but it collapsed over two, uh, 10 times in over 200 years. That doesn't sound very safe. No, but that back then, you know, you had like in 1280, the flood destroyed uh, the Pont aux Champs, which is on the other side, connecting the right bank to Ile uh, de la Cité. You also had in 1296, almost all the bridges were either became impassable or destroyed. But back then, the bridges were made of wood. They mm -hmm. weren't, a lot of them weren't made like, like today when they're made of stone, you know, a little bit better. Water and wood aren't exactly the best of friends over time. <laughs> so, you know, keep that in mind when we say they were, you know, this isn't going to happen today. I mean, it would take like a giant barge running into it. Yeah. Uh, but adding to the protection of the city, you know, when you walk down the Seine, you've got those huge walls uh, on either side of you. If you're walking down below or you're walking above and you look down, there's these huge walls on the quay those walls weren't there at one point the louvre sat there basically just it just you know it was sand right like you were standing on the side of a you know any other river in the world so in the third in 1312 the first walls are created on the quay de grand augustin which is over on the left bank um just kind of right there past pont neuf those are added in 1312 in 1369 some walls were added on the opposite side and then in 1578 when they were building pont neuf those it most of that area around but they had to enforce that with walls because the pont neuf was the first bridge that was not going to have homes on it and so and it was stone so you had to reinforce all that when I also mentioned that all these bridges were destroyed all the bridges back then also had homes on it so it was like when you go to Florence and the Pont Vecchio where they have all the buildings that's what the bridges of Paris once looked like that must have been really cool to look at those are probably beautiful yeah uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably a pretty good view. I mean, you, who knows? I mean, you think of how much it costs to live on Ile Saint-Louis. How much would it cost to live on the bridge? Yeah, <laughs> expensive. But if they, had an, if they had insurance back there, but it was like crazy expensive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you're living, like you're not living on a floodplain, like you're living in the flood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, maybe it was cheaper for that reason. It's probably, yeah. Um, so they met, you know, they were adding up all these walls, which was great. In 1870, under Baron Hausman, he replaced um, and added 15 bridges were replaced or added. And in the 1960s, the expressway on the river bank was open. So today, when you go and you're walking on the right bank, where they do the Perry Plage, and you have those huge walkways, that was actually part of the streets that you that was actually an expressway and then they closed those over time and just last year there was a it, like the moratorium on the amount of time that it could be closed um, was reached and there was a possibility they could open back that up to cars but thankfully that got squashed and and they kept it so we could still walk on it which is great um, but all of that thing you know just think about the difference of the you know before um, before the 14th century, before they had those walls, of course, I'm sure. And we don't even know. I mean, we only have so much going, you know, when you look back that far, I mean, I spent probably two and a half days and there was what started me on this was the, um, the flood of 1658. Cause I was reading about this one bridge and found out how it was destroyed. And then I was like, what, what other floods are there? And I probably spent a day and a half looking for information about the 1658 flood and it's almost impossible. Oh, it's so hard to find it. 
Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to have to go to like the history of Paris museum and try to go there and then even go like, there's some of, some of the different museums you could get into that I could contact just so, because now, you know, it's, I just added to my list of 4,000 things I'm obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but the gauging of the level of the sand began in 1649. So basically after that biggest flood, they decided, hey, maybe we should create a system that we're kind of keeping an eye on when this gets higher. Um, so in 1649 started and it started on the Pont de la Tournelle, which is very interesting because that's the bridge where the st- very tall um, statue of Saint-Jean-Vievre looks out, uh, looks east of the city to protect it. So that is where they used to um, measure the levels of the uh, flood. Now they do it, do it just down a little ways at the Pont d'Ostrelitz, which is where the official gauge is now. But most people usually think of a statue on the sand down a little closer to the Eiffel Tower that they think that is the official um, the official marker. And I know that you've seen that because every time that's it floods or the water starts getting higher, it's this is all over social media and all over the news in Paris. Yep. <laughs> so his name is there. It's on the Pont de Nama and it crosses the Seine, um, just over there. And it's, it's kind of actually really close to, if you know where princess Diana died and where there's the golden flame of the statue of Liberty, that that's the bridge. Um, and so on the side, there is a Crimean, uh, war soldier and it's a Zouab and it was a statue done by Charles Debole. It was created in 1856 and it was actually modeled after a real soldier named Andre, uh, Louis Gaudi by Napoleon III who he actually personally selected as to be the model for this. When this, when the Seine rose in 1910, it was um, Zouave that stood basically submerged in the water, but it wasn't just him. At one point there was four statues on each. There's four um, pillars going into the Seine. There was one on each pillar, um, two on each side. And when the build was, when the bridge was replaced in 1860, um, they, they were actually, uh, place lower uh, down into the water. So they were, when we, when I'm going to talk about the gauges and mention where it was on him as we go through each day of this flood. Now today he's about two feet higher. So if you use the same gauge, which almost everybody does of anything I've ever, you know, armchair historians or reporters use, they'll say, Oh, well, if it was, you know, if it was that, then this is what it would be. Now, if I use those gauges and said it's up to his neck, we'd be screwed because uh-huh. he's about two and a half feet taller than he was um, when they actually measured him for night in 1910. So it's, it's it's a big difference. But in 1970, the bridge was restored and the three statues were removed. And, but the, you can find them. There's one in the Bois de Vincent. Um, there's one in uh, Le Fer and then one uh, in Dijon. So, of course, now it's like I need to go and find each one of these guys. <laughs> but he, he is pretty cool. And you do. I mean, when the waters get higher and you're down there all the time for photos, I'm sure that you uh, pop over there and check them out. But you could always see people gathered around the bridge looking down. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a statue of a man. So it's it's easy to be like, oh, it's at his ankles. It's at this. Um, but yeah, so nowadays it would be, we'd be really screwed if it got up to his, uh, if it got up to his neck, um, we would all, well, you wouldn't be in Montmartre. You'd be good. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm super safe on my hill. <laughs> you're, you're up there, you help. But in 1658, this is the flood. It's the highest flood that has ever, ever been noted in in going through Paris. It was 8.96 meters. So it's almost 30 feet above normal. Um, It is higher than it's ever been before. That year, they had eight more floods. 
that same exact year in 1658. Um, it washed away the Pont Marie. It washed away two other bridges. So it was actually pretty devastating. After that flood of 1658, they decided the Paris, constructed by Louis the Fourteenth. So he does good things. A canal was. Um, they decided that they needed to do something to help alleviate some of this water. So there was an idea to dig a. Uh, a canal that would go from the Marne to the Seine, um, and then also to add another uh, river along the way too that would help alleviate some of that water, but none of that ever happened. Oh. In 1663, they, there was over 10,000 meters of uh, drains in the city uh, and tunnels, and 200 years later, there was 80,000 meters. Um, so that definitely helped a little bit in 1910 that those would actually um, come to uh as part of the disaster. But in 1879, there was another one and it wasn't a flood, but this was ice. And this actually sounds horrific <laughs> because there was a very cold um, in November and it started December. It was, it was frigid, freezing cold in Paris. And on the night of the 10th, the temperature dropped to a frigid negative 11 degrees wow. Fahrenheit. Whoa. Not Celsius, Fahrenheit. Um, it caused the scent to basically freeze overnight. In an attempt to break up the ice, they decided to use dynamite, which would, and the, there's actually pictures. I'll post pictures on my website. There's pictures, and this this looks like it's probably a good eight or 10 inches thick, the ice is. So they're trying to blow it up. It's sending these giant chunks of shards. <laughs> and at the same time, the... Um, it was destroying everything in its path. And so there was um, this picture, you could actually see giant uh, wine barrels floating down, like in stuck in the ice. Um, there's furniture and wood, everything that was coming because as the ice was, as it was, they were blowing it up and then it was being moved down the Seine. These giant chunks of ice were destroying anything in its path. So if you have bridges, wooden bridges supports or boats or barges and it was wood it would just like demolish them that's wild yeah it's just really crazy so that i found pictures of it on i first found pictures and it said it was from 1786 and i was like wait a minute they didn't have cameras <laughs> <laughs> what is this <laughs> And then I did actually did a reverse search of the image and found out, no, it's 1876. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it all takes us to 1910. And that was the big one. So the summer of 1909 was very wet in France, which led um, to this, a lot of snow in the mountains in November and December. But New Year's Eve day in 1910 was quite warm in Paris. It was 43 degrees and sunny, which was very strange. What is a little scary as I was doing this was 103 years later, uh, this year, it was 59 degrees wow. in Paris on New Year's Day. So that made me, I was like, well, at least good. At least it's, it's cool. But now I'm going to be like, I'm now I'm like an amateur meteorologist. <laughs> but <laughs> while the warm temperatures and the blue skies were lovely in Paris, off the coast of Brittany, this huge low pressure system was coming in and bringing a lot of rain with it. The sun had already risen three times um, since the start of December because it had been so warm and all of that snow and ice was melting into the rivers and coming down into the city. Uh, but that none of those had never... Um, gotten to the point where they had to be worried about it. 
until that last week of January. The warmer temperatures, um, as I said, you know, just warmed everything up. And so you had all of these mountains that were covered with snow and ice and just everything was rapidly melting. Right now, this year, there's not a lot of snow in the mountains, which then I was like, uh-oh, but there just, there hasn't been a lot. There was some early uh, when we had that huge cold spell in Paris, but now there's really not a lot. So as of right now, it doesn't look like the what is going on is going to do anything to the send, but now I will I will let you know I'm going to create a weather app. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please create a weather app. Weather app, then. Um, but they were just you know people in Paris are just going about their early January days, but the smaller villages that were up and down the river started to see um, some pretty frightening sights. It all started to begin about January 20th. Uh, on January 20th, 50 miles southeast of Paris, the coal town of Lory um, was in dire straits. It was a coal town. They had all of these tunnels that they had been digging. The rain had been nonstop there for two days, and it was it, but it wasn't the flood of the Seine that they were worried about. It was uh, what was going to come from up above, up above the hill. So they get done with work and, you know, here's, it's a cold, a cold village, you know, everybody works is, you know, all these people work so hard. These guys probably came home from dinner, you know, to sit down for dinner with their family. They were sitting there all of a sudden they heard this huge loud eruption noise and everything began to shake. And at that point, the whole nearby hill and the ground gave way, sending tons of mud and debris crushing into these homes and people. Yikes. Oh my God. That's terrifying. Yeah. See, I told you it's going to be scary. So, <laughs> but back at further away in Troyes, uh, where Jean Saint Jean Vieve had gone to get grain to save the people of Paris, the rivers there were starting to overflow with water. And it, because they're sitting on the edge of two rivers, not only the Seine, but it started to just destroy all the homes and buildings in the path. As the news spread to Paris and the water rose, most people stood <clears throat> on the bridges and looked down, thinking this would just never happen here. But just a few hours later, they would not have those same cavalier thoughts. But back at this time, I mean, think again, this is over 100 years ago, 112 years ago. Well, 13 years now. Back in Paris, there was one man that had a job. His name was Edmund Mayet. He was to calculate the water and watch the water levels. And over 20 years, he had never seen it get higher than five meters on the um, Pont d'Estelettes. But as early as January 16th, the water was getting so high that, but he didn't alert anybody. He didn't tell anyone. The next day, he didn't report to work for two weeks. Oh, the no. same two weeks that everything that everything was raging and nobody he came back to work but to this day nobody knew why he was gone wait what where the heck was he yeah i don't know but see that's that somebody if this wasn't a natural disaster somebody would have a conspiracy theory at this point <laughs> for sure <laughs> yeah i mean in the movie it could be you know edmund goes and releases all the dams and the dams coming down and destroy <laughs> <laughs> hey let me pitch this to netflix yeah, exactly. I know I will. On January twenty fifth, on January twenty first, at exactly ten fifty three p.m., the clocks around the city stopped. Paris had all the many functions that actually ran, ran on compressed air, including the movements of the mail by the postal service, elevators, ventilation, and factories. All of it came to a screeching halt at ten fifty three on the dot. Ever so, all of these clocks in the city stopped because water got in there and then everything and it froze everything so it all stopped the water at this point um was up to Zouab's ankles and now it was picking up speed and it was over 15 miles an hour it was the fastest the had ever been in centuries and nothing wow. in its path was safe yikes 
So it just was like whatever it was picking up along the way was just flying down the river from Troy's to, um, and farther the homes and their, the families that had, you know, these homes and furniture, the, the furniture was just basically floating down and breaking up and crashing into things that came down the scent. Um, as it happens since the ninth century, the bridges were struck and loud explosions could be heard. So these things would be flowing down and it's like, you know, it could be a bed just floating down and hitting a bridge and just exploding. But still people of Paris thought, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. But the next day on January 22nd, they woke up to find water in their basements. But they looked out the window and there wasn't very much water in the streets, so they couldn't figure out what was going on. More than 10 feet flooded into the city, but how it happened, and this is where it gets kind of scary, is it actually came from underground. So instead of what you would think of flood being the water gets really high, it overflows the bank, it just you know goes everywhere. This was because the it had rained so much that the, the ground was saturated. Plus, as I mentioned before, Paris had added all of these t- sewers and also now they have all these tunnels and metro lines. So the water actually filled from below and just permeated through the city coming from below the ground. That sounds terrifying and unexpected. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So now they didn't see it coming and now Zouab, it was up to his knees. So it, it rose 10 feet overnight. Wow. So, but it still wasn't over the banks. Oof. Yeah. And then to make, to make matters worse, it starts snowing. So, but luckily the snow turned into rain, but then it just, at least with snow, it's like coming down with, you feel like it is coming down slower in the Bercy area, which is just kind of on the edge of the city. It was affected first the streets. Cause it sits down a little lower too. the streets um, were completely flooded. They had wide waterways um, and the, and the Bercy, that is where all the wine merchants were. So at the time they had all of their trying to save these huge barrels of wine that start floating away into the sand. And then as those barrels came into the city, closer into the city, people were like lit risking life and limb to just hang over the bridge, trying to grab one of these barrils. I mean, those barrels are like insanely heavy. I don't know what they were thinking they were going to do. Yeah. This but, is I mean, movie scene. This is insane. Yeah. I mean, if it's a, it's a pop apocalyptic, I'd probably do that too. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the Bear Sea, you know, if you've been there, it's definitely a part of Paris that not a lot of people go, at least when you're visiting your first couple of times. But there's an amazing um, kind of like the Fairground Circus Museum. And I went there uh, back in the in the spring, I think it was, and it was or the fall. And it was, was there was this huge rainstorm that came in. And when I was leaving and I took a, a Uber because I was in a hurry to get someplace that there was just right out beside it on the main um, thoroughfare you couldn't even drive through it just because wow. from the rain there was so much water that it was down to from three lanes to one and it hadn't even been raining for that long so I can't even imagine what it was like in 1910 a nightmare just a nightmare but the power the power plants were also located out there so they started short-circuiting and the metro lines at that point were filling with water and some of them were coming to complete halt like yeah. it, it just everything about it is like the perfect nightmare. It is um, like a lot of the movie. It's just like the it is, movie. isn't it? <laughs> See, that's what I think you need. We need Pierce Brosnan here yeah. to go and come in. And maybe, maybe he, you know, he maybe he would be Edmund, and he left for two weeks because he was trying to summon, you know, summon <laughs> the relics of Saint Genevieve. It could well, be actually a superhero movie, and Saint Genevieve could be like the new DC superhero. Yes, bring in the Marvel. I mean, that's all we get to watch anymore anyway. 
I know, I know. I need to, we need to cut this short. I got to call Disney. <laughs> but it. it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was just like everything about it was just a perfect disaster. And there's so much more than that, but we'll have to save that for next time. So we hopefully we won't leave you in a, in a complete state of flux and, and have nightmares for the next week to come back to here. <laughs> but as you know, it does have a good ending because as you know, Paris is still there. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, we can still stroll along the sun, enjoy the bridges, so it did not completely go down. But tune in next week to find out what happens, and make sure you head over to ClaudineHemingway.com to learn more and contact her for travel planning. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.